G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers, citizen scientists and people that have an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni and I'm all of the above and joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Marta Panero and she's a marine biologist who's currently studying Gorgonian fans and the sea creatures that live on them, mainly shrimp and gobies. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me here. No worries. So you're currently researching these things. Why and how did you end up researching Gorgonian fans, which we'll get into a little in a little bit what they are, and the creatures that live on them? So essentially, I talked to my supervisor, who's Jeff Jones, probably a year ago now. We discussed about a project and he was literally telling me, do you like Gorgonians? And I was like, well, I love them because I've been diving for a lot of years with my dad. My dad loves Gorgonians and I do too. And well, I I said, of course, I want to do a research project on them, especially in Papua New Guinea. So that's literally how it happened. And then I started to get into them more and more. And I traveled a lot throughout last year, especially in Pacific Islands and Southeast Asia including Papua New Guinea, of course. And that's how it all started, pretty much. It's so cool when you have like a certain kind of sea creature, a certain area, which you're like, yeah, I really like that. And you get a research project that's cool. Yeah, no, it's super exciting because you put like a lot of passion into it. I feel like it's it's not a job. It's not something that I have to do, but I just do it because I love doing it. So it's really nice. It's It's very interesting. Yeah. So... Tell us firstly, what is a Gorgonian fan or a Gorgonian coral and what do they look like? Yeah, so essentially a Gorgonian is a coral, but they're called octocorals. So we got like two main groups of corals. You have hard corals, the one that have uh, the secreted calcium carbonate skeleton, and you have soft corals. Within the big soft coral family where you have a lot of species, we have Gorgonians. Gorgonians are not only this big sea fans, so the, the one that look like a fan, essentially, but they're also like small tree-like corals sort of thing. They're different from hard corals because they do not have such a hard skeleton. They have like this sort of thinner and a little bit more soft, still hard, but not so hard skeleton. And they have a lot of invertebrates as well as the hard corals that live on them and small fish, which they use as shelter pretty much to, to survive and as protection from, from predators. Well, gorgonias are very fascinating because they have this big net on them and they are the same as hard corals. They're made of polyps, but the polyps, instead of having sets of six tentacles, they have sets of eight. They're animals as well as corals because they're part of corals. Uh, but they're very understudied and unusual creatures to, to study, pretty much. The most famous ones, I would say, they are the one in the Caribbean. The classic, it's called Gorgonia ventolina. And it's kind of purple-ish, very common around the reefs there. And that's the one that has been studied the most among all the Gorgonians. Whereas in the Indo-Pacific, there is a high variety of uh, species of Gorgonians, as of course you have the highest variety of biodiversity here but they're very understudied and they're very cryptic. So sometimes Gorgonians do not look like fans and do not look like beautiful arborescent corals, but they're just like crypting in the reef and you don't even realize that's a Gorgonian. And I think cryptic is a really cool way of describing them. And so if anyone's never seen a Gorgonian 
Um, the typical kind of Gorgonian, as you said, it's like purple or red and they're quite large. I think they get up to like a meter by a meter. And yeah, three meters sometimes. Oh, whoa. Yeah, the biggest ones. Yeah, yeah, super big. And so to describe them and what you said earlier that they're, they're actually an animal. And so corals are animals and Gorgonians are animals. But lots of people don't think that initially because they look kind of like a tree. They kind of grow yeah. off a rock and they have this huge big trunk. And then all these kind of limbs and this huge kind of fan nature, like a huge tree that's kind of fanned out. Yeah, they're pretty amazing animals and pretty iconic animals. Yeah, they're very iconic. Like, you know, the photo with the diver and the gorgonian, the red gorgonian or orange gorgonian. It's usually the, the most common one that you can find from Tulamban, from Papua New Guinea, from Indonesia, in a lot of areas, especially in Southeast Asia, where you've got these big fans hanging perpendicular from the reef because they usually hang on the walls and the diver just on the side or, you know, it's a classic photo that most of the passionate divers have. Yeah, Gorgonians are also exceptional because they actually live in different places around the reef. They don't only live perpendicular on walls, but they can, they usually stay where there's a lot of current because, because they're animals they need to feed as well. So they are pretty much filter feeders. They filter the plankton that's in the water through their polyps uh, and through their cells as well, the nematocysts. So that's why they have to stay in there where there's a lot of movement pretty much. And they, even though they're part of the soft coral family, like within the octocoralia, which is a very wide family, they're still pretty hard and strong to be able to handle those very strong currents. Yeah, because they, they kind of sit out on these ledges and they have the current kind of streaming through them. And that's how the polyps, which are kind of like, I, they kind of look like a bit of a, a colourful gum nut, I think. And they're like mm -hmm. all over the branches of the Gorgonia. But that's how they collect all their food is just the current kind of comes and, and they suck it into the, the polyps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really, it's really fascinating the way where they are sometimes they're very in harsh conditions sometimes you happen to be in like very uh strong current places and you've got like big gorgonian gardens like coral gardens where you've got so many colorful sea fans one next to the other but in pretty harsh conditions so you're like how can they actually survive but that's where they love to live because they can get more nutrients and also eventually the other fish can use them for protection yeah. And so speaking of the other fish that use them, let's touch first on the gobies. What is a goby? A goby is a very tiny little fish, millimeters, literally. Uh, it's very tiny. Usually we have the most famous gobies, I would say, are the ones that live on the benthos. So they actually live on corals, on gorgonians, just on the sand. They just hide themselves everywhere they can because they're so tiny. So they need to get protection. Gobies, the one on Gorgonians are pretty, pretty cool because sometimes you can't even see them because they're the same color as the Gorgonian. They usually have this super strong relationship with the Gorgonians. They get pretty much shelter from them and food because they can also get food from living on the Gorgonian. And they just stay there on the branches, hiding, pretty much camouflaging. So gobies are these little tiny critters that you can find also on sand usually have their own burrow and sometimes they have a shrimp related to them that actually <laughs> protects them and scares the predators and they're very like they move really fast 
Gobis are really funny. I was actually doing a research, some research, field research in Papua New Guinea for a girl that studies gobies in my lab. We were collecting them. There's some techniques that can be used like clove oil. And the gobies have very different behavioral features that uh, they use. They have different personalities. And while you go there and you try to get the gobi, of course, not killing, like we don't kill animals, but that's like scientific techniques to get ID and to get these species in the lab. They behave totally different depending on, on the species pretty much. And most of them are transparent. A lot of them, you can see their insides. Some of them are very colorful. There is a huge variety of gobies all around the reef, very small. Yeah, and so the ones that live on the Gorgonians, they're kind of like, they're either see-through or they are um, kind of match the color of where they're living, which yeah. makes sense. But it, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of a squirrel in a tree, really. They kind of just sit yeah, on yeah. the branches. And, and what do gobies eat? And what's their kind of daily life like? So they, um, they stay on, pretty much they get all the nutrients possible from the branches of the Gorgonians. So they like micro uh, nutrients pretty much around there. Yeah, they meet, they're like exactly like squirrels on a, on a tree, totally camouflaged with a the, with the tree, in this case, the Gorgonia. They're specific, some of them are specific for certain Gorgonians and Bryanopsis is usually the genus that's the most common one on Gorgonians. And they're called also Gorgonian gobbies because there are so many species and some of them are also not identified yet. They're very fascinating creatures. They have these really big eyes. Sometimes they're really funny because they're bigger than their bodies. And some of these species actually not living on Gorgonians, but the one that we were researching in Papua New Guinea, one of those, uh, I still remember, they had like glasses. So they had this contour, silver contour around their eyes and they looked like they were wearing glasses. They were really funny behavior as well, personality. Yeah, gobies are pretty fascinating, I'd say. The one on the um, Juncella species, like the big uh, spiral sea whips, they always, you always find a goby on, on one of those, camouflaging on the, on the sea whip. Yeah, so pretty cool. Yeah, I, I am so guilty of taking so many photos of gobies on sea whips. It's like, as soon as you see one, you're like, yes, it's either going to be a goby or a shrimp. Yeah, they're going to be awesome. Yeah, and if anyone doesn't know, a sea whip is it is a kind of gorgonian, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But it's just like a long kind of whip that kind of spirals out just off the floor, and you often see them in reef photos, just kind of these big strands poking out, and they're a bit of a a bane of my photography sometimes because you take this beautiful photo of this reef, and then just have these like weird hair things sticking out the background, and ruining your shot. You're like, damn it, whip coral. Yeah, but the, the sea whips are, I don't know, for me, it's one of my favorite shots to take because you take it from above, the, the whole spiral. It's really cool, I think. It's, I've always had a lot of passion for sea whips somehow. But, and sometimes finding the gobi is not so easy because you got to go through all the sea whip, which can be very high. Sometimes it's even two meters high. So it's not very easy to, to find it. Are there multiple um, gobies per sea whip or is it like a territorial thing or, or per uh, I think there can be multiple ones they're usually the um, the young ones the juveniles one I think they live on uh, on sea whips yeah that I found sometimes you can find one or two I think yeah but it's again it's not so easy to find them because they camouflage so perfectly uh, and they move so so quickly as well as soon as, as, you, as soon as you see the gobi and you go close the gobi runs away. So it's not so easy to take the photo as well. 
Yeah, and it almost does run away because because they don't want to leave their whip coral or their gorgonian protection. They kind of just run along it rather than swim, which I think is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah super funny. They like going like a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and so the other one is shrimp. So you get lots of shrimp on gorgonians and both the coral and the whip type and the fan type, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So they pretty much kind of have the same sort of behavior as shrimp on sponges so they they inhabit the they inhibit the gorgonians and they find shelter again and protection and sometimes they're closely related to uh, specific gorgonians again you can't see them because on a red gorgonian a red shrimp will be really hard to see i was once i think i was in ahmed in uh, in bali i found this really cool red shrimp which is so hard to identify and it was so tiny and so small and on a red gorgonian that i was like i took a shot and i was like okay where is now i lost it <laughs> totally but yeah they're really cool and they live in sort of like symbiotic relationships with a gorgonian again having both benefits between each other and uh, gaining nutrients and gaining protection and they're beneficial, of course, for, for the Gorgonian too. They're really fascinating. Shrimps are so interesting. What kind of benefits do the, does the Gorgonian get from the shrimp? So from the shrimp, the Gorgonian can, I think it's mainly on the shrimp that it's not a real benefit that the Gorgonian gets, but it doesn't get a damage from it. Whereas from other uh, critters, for example, like if you got the bivalves that overgrow the gorgonian, sometimes you can get damages on their trucks, uh, trunks pretty much. So, or the crinoids, for example, overgrow even unhealthy gorgonians. Yeah, so with the shrimps, it's a bit like they don't get any damages because they're such tiny critters, but they give more benefits to, to the shrimp. Yeah, and I guess like a lot of animals like that, like shrimp poo as well is beneficial for the fan. So like a lot of these animals and corals love having fish live on them because they provide nutrients. And have you seen any other crazy creatures just perched on a Gorgonian? I know I've seen a few, but have you seen any cool ones? So apart from the usual crinoids that you can find around. What's a crinoid? Explain to us what a crinoid is. A crinoid is literally like, it looks like a floating sea star essentially. It's really, they're actually pretty sort of spiky. So if you go close and by mistake you touch them, they don't want to leave you. (laughs) And they're quite spiky. They're not like, they don't really hurt you or anything, but they're just annoying pretty much. And they leave all their spines and everything. Apart from those, I think, actually when I was in Papua New Guinea, there was very unhealthy Gorgonians. Just they only had branches left with absolutely no net and no polyps. So it was literally like a, a tree in autumn pretty much. And it was totally overgrown with bivalves, especially those called theria species, the big brown bivalves and crinoids that totally overgrow these, not dead, but sort of very unhealthy gorgonians. So those were actually like really interesting. And that's what I'm actually research. I will be researching as well in the future in my project. And then as crazy uh, creatures on gorgonians, well, crazy, I can't say crazy, but interesting all the small critters. So little little fish, pretty much. And actually the filefish in when I was in Fiji, I was really cool. I managed to take a shot totally random of this filefish where you can only see the face, uh, whereas you can't see his back because he's turning around inside the gorgonias. That was really cool, I think. Yeah, and they're really funny fish as well. Yeah. How about you? What was 
crazy. I've, I've seen like a few, I think my favorite is um, like a leafy scorpion fish, a few leafy scorpion fish kind of hanging on there, probably eating or trying to eat all the shrimp and all the gobies that live on the fan. Yeah, lionfish, probably a few bigger kind of hunting predators. You know, now I remember there was in Myanmar, I was in a night dive and there was this um, big crab, which is one of the pagurus crab. As soon as uh, I was there with my buddy and uh, as soon as we got in front of the fan, he was literally on top of the crest of the fan. And as soon as he saw us, he literally like, threw himself down <laughs> on the benches. It was really funny because going free-flowing like that, which is, I mean, it's a crab, so it's not meant to, to swim around. It's just meant to walk around. So, yeah, it was really funny. Cool. <laughs> I do love it when crabs kind of just, their the main thing is just jump back in their shell or just kind of scuttle around and... Yeah, as you said, when you see them in the water column, you're just like, this does not look right. It kind of looks like a bird underwater. Yeah. It looks weird. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. But yeah, trying to commit suicide <laughs> from the sea fan. <laughs> that was the image I have of that. Yeah. Oh, and of course, there is one more, which we'll just touch on quickly, one more famous creature that lives mm -hmm. on Gorgonians. Yeah, so the pygmy, pygmy is very cool animal. So pygmy seahorses related to especially one species of Gorgonian, which is called Muricella. And they only found on that one, despite the fact there has been studies which have found different species of pygmy seahorses uh, around different sea fans. But uh, Hippocampus pargibanti is the, um, is the famous one. So pretty much pink on pink is so hard to spot because it looks like a bubble sort of thing around the branches of the sea fan, which look like a pink bubble again. And it's literally a few millimeters long. So it's, it's really hard to spot. And when I was in, again, in Papua New Guinea, I literally tried to ask anyone possible where there was pygmy sea horses. And I didn't manage to find one because sometimes, you know, people, local people will say, oh yeah, you go to 27 meters on the right, then you go down on the left and you'll find the sea fan when you have like 300 sea fans. Yeah, it's not so easy to spot, but it's a very cool animal. Yeah, and I have had the exact same experience with a local being like, okay, you go down to 30 meters and you swim right along for 30, you know, 30 meters. And then you look on that Gorgonian. But fortunately, I was actually lucky enough to find the pygmy that they were talking about. Wow. As soon as I found it, I was like, there's the fan. Oh, my God, there's a pygmy. My watch started to beep at me being like, you're going into decompression, which is when you have to get out of a normal dive. I was like, no, I just found it. Now I have to leave. No, but the pygmy, yeah, the pygmy is going to be a good experience once I'm going to actually see one properly. Hopefully as soon as they reopen borders. And we can go back to Indonesia. <laughs> and so just quickly before we go into any cool facts, you mentioned that the ones in Papua New Guinea uh, were, a lot of them were almost dead. Do you have any theories or what kind of research are you thinking is causing that? So there was especially some sites. So Papua New Guinea, where we work in Kimbe Bay, is a very pristine area that has been studied for a lot of years. There is very limited fishing pressure, which is one of the main drivers of unhealthy Gorgonians, pretty much. But those ones were just had the branches left. So what I'm going to try to look at will be what are the vectors that are driving these problems of Gorgonians. So essentially, we're going to have a look for disease 
if there is any core-related disease that might have affected them, or climate change, so changing anything that can have, might have happened throughout the past few years because obviously of anthropogenic impacts. So those ones are going to be the main ones, and we're going to look also at the fishing pressure, even though Papua New Guinea, especially that area, is special because reefs have been actually protected through an MPA, the Marine Protected Area System, for many years. Whereas, especially in the Mediterranean, or if you go in areas like where I was in Myanmar, covered in sea fans, but covered in fishing nets. So that is one of the main drivers of Gorgonian pretty much disappearing from the reef. But they're actually, I'm trying to say that they're actually very important organisms for the reef because they actually ecosystem, we call them ecosystem engineers. So they form the habitat forming uh, organisms for other organisms, so for fish, invertebrates, so they're really important. So that's what we're going to try to look at in Papua New Guinea and potentially see what happens also on the GBR, try to find where Gorgonians are, largely understudied as well, and then see why they're unhealthy and why they're healthy. Most of the times it's for fishing pressure. Yeah, just to say the GBR, as you mentioned, is the Great Barrier Reef, which is kind of marine biologist slang or, you know, abbreviation for it. But yeah, continue, sorry. No, uh, just adding that the Gorgonians, essentially, they actually have a very good attitude towards disturbances. So even though, for example, like hard corals have suffered from a lot of bleaching events. So when pretty much there's a high temp- higher temperature than normal, so they lose their colors and their algae, so their zooxanthellae die and eventually the coral dies. The Gorgonians are actually very resistant to disturbances, which is a very good characteristic. That's why I think they need to be studied more. And uh, so we're going to have a look at that on the GBR potentially and see how it differs between inshore and offshore and between areas where fishing is allowed and fishing is prohibited. Because there is a lot of the Great Barrier Reef has been divided in a lot of different color areas, so like blue uh, blue zones, green zones, where you can fish, where you can't fish. So that might be one of the drivers of unhealthy Gorgonians. We'll have a look at that. Or maybe a reduced quantity as well. And I know those zones on the Barrier Reef do make a huge difference. I've dived in a few and I've been lucky enough to dive in. I think it's the pink zone, which is nothing. No one's allowed to do anything. Back to the Gorgonians and their kind of ecosystem inhabitants. Have you got any cool facts? about either the gobies or the shrimp or the gorgonians that are kind of unusual that you like? I think it's very interesting to see how the complexity of the reef, especially in Papua New Guinea, which is very famous for this, is. So the reef complexity pretty much creates a lot of what we call in our language ecological niches. So essentially the more things, the more corals, the more sea whips, the more gorgonians you have together, the more animals you have together. So in Papua New Guinea, for example, you got like these massive areas totally full of sea whips, gorgonians all together, and a lot of other critters all together, which I find really fascinating. So the crinoids that we were mentioning before, or the gobies or other small fish that swim around and find shelter within them. Those are like underwater cities. Like the whole reef is a big underwater metropolis. And those little town and like little villages are really fascinating, I think, because each single organism has a function within it. And I think it's really fascinating. And I think it's a very cool fact to be in the middle of them, obviously without touching and without hurting them. 
it's really cool, I think, to swim around and see what animals and what species of fish and uh, invertebrates live within them. So I yeah. think, anyway, I don't know, I'm a bit biased, I think, on gorgonians <laughs> by now. No, yeah. that's, that's awesome. I, I love it when someone has a passion for a specific marine creature. I've dived in Ahmed and Talumbin, which are places in Indonesia in the island of Bali, which has some amazing scuba diving. And yeah, the, the fan corals are just spectacular. And I just love the image you drew in my mind of swimming along and looking at kind of little cities, like they're their own little like towns and communities kind of spaced out along the reef, which is just so awesome. Yeah, totally, totally. The ocean, I always say, actually, all my friends make fun of me for this because I always say, oh, the ocean is my husband. It actually is because when you go in the ocean, it's just a peaceful place and we, which actually wants you to be there as a host, as a good host, I think. Yeah. And so just before we finish up, if anyone wants to see sea fans or like tell us a bit about what places they're found or where you would go and how you would look at them and do it safely from the sea fans perspective so you don't damage them in terms of places i would say you should go to starting from africa i think madagascar is a good place where you can see really cool sea fans then i think the caribbean very interesting patchy reef where you've got sea fans and uh, a lot of sponges as well that go along most of the times with the sea fans because they kind of have the same habitat sort of structure so probably cuba was really pristine interesting bahamas as well and then well i think the best place to go is definitely papua new guinea uh, which is super famous for sea whips and sea fans uh, myanmar surprisingly really really rich in sea fans especially the south uh, in the Andaman Sea, very unexplored, but very damaged, unfortunately, from obviously uh, disruptive fishing pressure, pretty much. And hopefully Australia, now I'm trying, I've actually been diving a couple of weeks ago, I was in the reef, so I saw some Gorgonians. If you go out on the outer Great Barrier Reef, so very far with liverboards, you can see some great pinnacles and yeah, there is some really amazing Gorgonians around there. So, yeah, these are the places, I think, that I would definitely suggest. When you find them, how do you view them safely and what are kind of things to watch out for? So I think just don't go too close. Uh, if you have a torch, it's great because you can go on both sides of the Gorgonian, pretty much on the inside and the outside and try to look for critters just with the torch, literally going around every single spot on the Gorgonians because you never know what you find. So that's our technique. If anyone wants to see your photos or any kind of research or anything like that or more about Gorgonians and stuff, where should they go and what should they do? So uh, Instagram, I run an Instagram page, which is called The Sea and Its Creatures. So that one will be one. And um, I usually also run some presentations. Uh, different sponsors sponsor me. So I have some done with ADEX Singapore, which is a big dive show. Uh, sometimes I run them myself and obviously before COVID all these presentations were in person so my life sometimes whenever I can or whenever I don't have to be in a certain place uh, is a bit nomadic so I travel quite a bit and I go through dive centers or different companies and organizations and I give lectures and um, presentations so mainly through my Instagram page or Facebook page with my name just Marta, Marta Panero yeah, you just DM me there, like just drop me a message or an email for any uh, curiosities and I'm happy to 
to answer to that. And then I run my research at James Cook University here in Australia in Townsville. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting Secret's podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, and my webpage, emptyunderwatermedia.com. If you've liked the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account, patreon.com slash podcast. And that's where we run a little monthly donation that helps support the running of the show. Production assistance by George McGrath, and music by Dan Musil and his epic slide guitar. Tune in next time to get even more excited about coral as we dive into the world of these little tiny but huge creatures with the godfather of coral, Charlie Veron. This has been the Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out. <laughs>